The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and coming up on the podcast this week, Jeff Hodge is my special guest, as well as answering your gardening questions on all things from bugs, bulbs and blackberries, We'll also bring you some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden. Plus, Plant of the Week feature, all exclusive to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's start with Plant of the Week, Rudabecchia. It's from the sunflower family and it's sometimes called the coneflower. Originated North America, it's showy, generally yellow, but there's some new breeds that have brought some interesting colours in. The, re- the reason it's sometimes called coneflower is because it's daisy petal-like flower, points slightly backwards from the, from, the, from the lead, therefore it gives a sort of cone effect. They can grow 0.5 metres up to 3 metres tall. Annual, biennials, named after Olof Rudbeck in 1700, who was a botanist at Uppsala University. It's a great flower because it flowers from August right through till October. Great for bees. I like it planted in huge drifts. It goes on for years and years if you get the uh, herbaceous variety. Likes full sun, will tolerate partial shade. Likes rich soil, so add plenty of compost. And every three or four years, just divide the clumps up and replant. Great time to do that is right now, or if not, do it in spring. But more importantly than anything at all is that Rudabecchia is a great late flower, giving you colour right through October, possibly even to the frosts. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Still to come on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, Jeff and I will bring you some top tips on things you can be doing in the garden this week. But let's now hear what you've called us about. And we start with Stuart from Mersey. Hello, Ken, again. Um... I was at Dunstable weekend, yeah. and my sister-in-law mm-hmm. showed me a photo on her phone of chilies, green and red chilies, and she was saying they was called Bishop's Helmet. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. And she wanted to know if if they were ed- somebody given to her, and she wanted to know if they if they were edible, and can she do cuttings from them. Well, you see, Jeff is a chilli man. He likes your chilies, don't you, Jeff? I love chilies. <laughs> so I'm sure Jeff would have the answer for you. <laughs> okay. uh, they're actually called Bishop's Hat, not Helmet. Oh. <laughs> as, a, as, as a starting point. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, absolutely edible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, they are reasonably fiery, uh, particularly if you, you allow them to... Um, mature on the plant to a, a, a strong red colouring, but uh, yeah, they're, they're really good ones. And can, can you take take, cuttings? can you um, take cuttings? Or, well, or wouldn't you bother? 
I mean, I mean, chilies are perennial plants. I mean, like tomatoes. Tomatoes are perennial plants. In theory, you could grow tomatoes all year round, taking from cuttings, but we don't have warm enough, light enough conditions in the UK to do yeah. that. Would you keep the plant going right through the winter? And well, is that again, worth it? Well, again, it's a, it's a problem because of the the light, light levels, levels and the temperatures not being right. I've tried it on three or four occasions, and and normally they just rot off. So have a go if you want to, Stuart. But I, you know, there isn't the my sister-in-law. <laughs> Sorry, uh, sister-in-law. She's the one who's doing it in Dunstable. Okay, well, she uh, asked me, and I said I'd phone. We'll pass. Program. You can pass the information across the county so board if bo- you want to. Would you bother with cuttings? Is the answer? You wouldn't. Well, um, uh, if, well so, if, you, if you want to have a go, have a go. But the, the thing is, it, it, it's now late in the year to do cuttings. I yeah. would have done them in August. And, and they are tricky to keep going over winter. But have a go if you want to. OK. Right, sure. Thanks very much. OK, there's Stuart in Mersey Island. Alan in Hoddesdon. Hello, Alan. Talking Hello, ru- Ken. Talking uh, runner beans, uh, are we? Uh, yes, and we are, yes. And I've got two updates on the previous calls. Yeah, I've got... Um, Black beetles on my runner beans. I've never seen them before. They're, um, there's two sizes, some small like a small ladybird and some are, are like a, just a bit smaller than a shield beetle. They're black and they've got little pinky spots on the back of them. Well, they could... There's actually hundreds of them on these plants. Okay. Just not... We've had the corn beetle, which is the one that's the usual problem with bean, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but they've not got any spots on them. They're pure black. Yeah, pure black. Uh, vine, yeah, they're vine. black with little pinky how, spots. How big? Uh, some are like small um, ladybirds, and some, uh, which I should take, would be the parents, were nearly as big as a shield beetle. Vine weaver wouldn't be that, would it? Well, vine, be, vine weaver would be that that sort size, of size, wouldn't size, they? And they have sort of orangey, and you bronzy spots. colouring. Never heard of them, Alan. Right. Tell you what, Alan, um, send us a. Can you do a picture and send it to us? No, I don't do anything like that. But I could send you the actual beetle if you send want. Me the the send me the bug. Send envelope and send you one next week. Well, you'll need to put yeah. it in something crush-proof, like a, a matchbox, a matchbox yeah. or a small plastic pot. Put it in yeah, a pot. I can do that for you. Yes, yeah, sure. Send, send it along. Right, okay. I've got two quick updates. I planted some um, peanuts a few months ago. Yeah. Remember how I asked I about do. I remember. I remember the story. Yes. Uh, well, I, I turned the bucket out the other day, and uh, there's plenty of peanut shells, but there's nothing in them. There's all just like <laughs> soil inside the peanut itself. Nothing at all. It's like compost it is when I broke them open. Sounds like they've rotted. Sounds yeah. like you've left them for too long, Alan. Too long, oh, right. too damp. Okay. Too long, too damp, I reckon. And, yep. um, oh, uh, sweet potatoes. I planted some sweet potatoes. I, um, uh, I could ask you for some information. Uh, I dug one up the other day. It had one sweet potato on it, and it was a massive one, and it was all curled and entwined into, it, into itself. You know, like the carrots when they all go back and forward and die yep. around themselves. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was Com- just one one sweet potato on that one plant. They're not easy, are they? They're not reliably easy, and and you really need to be growing a, a good variety rather than just buying a sweet potato from a shop and planting it because the yeah, most I of did this... actually from a well-known. Uh, oh, you did. You did. Oh, okay. Um, you know, that's all really, you know, just a couple of updates. Well, at, yeah. least, well, at least you got one, Alan. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I've got three more plants to dig up to find out what's on them. I thought I'd only dig them up one at a time, 
rather than dig them all up. And Good idea, but make sure you get them out of the ground before the frosts come. Yeah, and now then, keep us in touch. We like to hear good news, bad news and intermediate news. But let's go to Wendy and Leon C. We're talking about grass, aren't we, Wendy? Yes, uh, hello there. Good morning to you both. Uh, we've just laid some new turf, mm-hmm. and it's growing really well. It's only been down a week. Lovely. Um, I just want to know um, when to cut it, or do we leave it this year? Oh, no. Uh, or whatever. Oh, no, you definitely don't leave it this year. And if it's yeah. growing, you cut it. But, Jeff, you have to cut it quite high, don't you? Uh, yeah, my recommendation is that you allow the grass to grow to three inches high. And then you remove the top three quarters of an inch for its first cut. Lovely, because they forecast a good good October, don't they? So I'll keep watering it at the moment. I mean, I had a good good uh, the rain last weekend, but I'm yep. watering it every day, and uh, it's doing really well. So uh, all the joins are nearly joined together. So. Brilliant. Yes, yes, it's doing and, and really well. And don't forget, we n- we never stop mowing grass. When the grass right. is growing, we cut it, providing right. it's not soaking wet or it's frozen solid. So there are. Lovely. Keep oh, on. Thank you very much. You know thank they you say keep on dancing. Well, it's keep on cutting. Keep isn't on it, mowing. Really? Keep yeah. on mowing. Anyway, just quickly, I'm going to pop in an email there. Paul in Whitham says he's recently purchased some turfs. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, they spend a bit of time rolled up. He's laid them but they have quite a few brown patches on them. I keep them regularly watered, but was wondering if there's anything I could feed them with to help them along. The answer is no, you can't feed dead turf, can you? Well, you could, but it's not going to it do, won't much do good. any good. It all depends on whether it's dead or whether it's just hmm. malignant. I'd leave them, Paul. I would as well. See whether they come through. If not, use a patch pack and go over the patches with a patch pack. In the spring. In the spring. So leave well alone. Let's now go to... Uh, Kerwin in Colchester. Hi. Uh, good morning. What can we do for you, sir? Well, back in the 70s and the 80s, I lived in a house in Trabend in Colchester. Yep. And we had loads of green age trees, green age trees. Good. And the 87 storm came along and blew them all over. Yep. And um, I moved up to Shropshire and um, didn't think any more about it. But um, I want to put in my... Well, I, I live in a block of flats and we got communal garden. All right, yeah. What I want to do is put in a russet apple tree, a Bramley apple tree, a cherry and a gate. Right. Okay. No. Let's let's start with the easy ones. The cherry tree. You can get self-fertile cherry trees, can't you, Jeff? Yes, you can. Yeah. I mean, uh, what the, would you go for? Is well, a, a well, good one. You can't beat Stella. I mean, it's a good one. It's an old variety, but it's a good eater. There's Stella for you. It's a cherry yeah. tree. Green gauges. There's several on the market. There's several. I mean, there's some reasonably good new varieties available. But to be honest, I, I still like the I old, like the old ones. traditional. I like Ulin's gauge. Yeah, is a really good, strong growing. Goes good color. Good color. Good flavor. Ulin's gauge. Now you wanted. You said you wanted russet and Bramley. Then Bramley's more yeah, difficult well, to get pollination. Um, pollination on, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No one else around here has got any fruit. Okay, well, with with apples, you need two varieties that flower at the same time to pollinate each other. The problem with Bramley is that you actually need two other varieties to grow with it. So you'd have to have three trees. So you'd have to have three trees for it for for, to ensure successful and good pollination. Uh, Right. So. 
Would uh, hang on, Egremont russet might flower. Egremont russet's fine. It flowers at the same time as the yeah. Bramley. You've just yeah. got to find another one. Uh, Fiesta, 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 brilliant variety. But lots of them will, will flower. Go to your that's local fun. garden centre, but just see that they check the flowering time. That is so important, Kerwin. Or you go to a good nursery. Okay. Yeah. Can you re- recommend one? Uh, well, there's, 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 I don't. Well, I don't know about actually going to, but if you can find out a oh, company Matthew? called Pomona, P-O-M-O-N-A, they're they're local to here. They're very good. We've obviously got Ken Muir, who's a very good fruit supplier. So you've got a couple there that are in Essex, and you could definitely use. Okay, uh, now we go to Maureen in Hullbridge. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Ken. Um, I'm just about to um, move my uh, fuchsias. I have several fuchsias in pots which have finished flowering and I want to overwinter them in the shed. Should I cut them back first or leave them till the spring to cut them back? No, you cut them them back by about half, Maureen, or or slightly more, so that you've got a, a, a good sort of framework of stronger branches left rather than loads of thin stuff, because the thin stuff is probably going to rot over winter. Right. So I can, I can do that now, can I? Well, yeah, I mean, if they're still in flower, leave them... No, leave they're, them. they're finished flowering, so that's no. what I was about right. to do Right, OK, yeah, morning. just... just, just get any, is it important what compost? What compost? Any multi-purpose? Well, uh, they're already in pots. Oh, they're in they're pots. They're already in pots. I was oh. just going to put the pots in the shed. Oh, yeah. fine, yep. Yeah. Just, and just make sure the compost doesn't go bone dry. You don't want it to be too wet over winter no. because they're not going to be growing over winter. If you keep the compost too wet, the roots can rot, but you do, right. at the same time, you don't want it turning into dust. No, no. OK. And, and, and so once I can, I can cut them back to half now, can yep, I? Yep. yep. And then why, once Thank you very much, once, Jeff. Thank once, you. Once, once you've cut them back by half, I would also just check and t- remove any sort of anything that's dead or diseased or any old flowers. Just give them a bit of a tidy up. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Back to your gardening questions in a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Jeff, what's your first tip? My first tip is uh, going back in our memories to that wonderful hot, dry summer. Do we remember it? Only just. Only just. (laughs) And everybody looking at their gardens going, oh my God, everything's dying because everything's just drying out and has been badly affected. So I'm sure lots of people have gaps that they need to restock their gardens. And of course, autumn is nature's natural time for planting warm soil and hopefully some rain some rain a little bit moisture in the soil yeah the warmth to get the roots growing and establishing which is very important when you're planting new things so you know trees shrubs herbaceous all those sort of things anything that's hardy okay anything that's not hardy or not reliably hardy we leave till spring but anything that's bone hardy you can get in now so you can you know put in you know roses hedges, anything anything you fancy that will tolerate some cold in the winter. So just go along to your local garden centre or nursery, have a look, see what takes your fancy. And get it planted. Get it planted, you know, look out for, don't only think about flowers when you're replanting and restocking, you know, foliage is very important. You know, it is. Evergreen foliage is there all year round. You need to be thinking about, you know, does it produce berries and does it have lovely autumn leaf colour? Does it have structure in the winter? 
And if, if you've got a small garden, you know, having something that only flowers for a week and doesn't do much for the other 150, sorry, the other 51 weeks of the year, it, it, it's important to get things that give you interest for as long, long as, as possible. You can. And it's, as I say, it's not always to do with flowers. So have a think about what you're going to buy. Um, obviously, you need to make sure that your soil is in good heart, as we call it, before you start planting. So lots of organic material. And what I'm finding a lot of people don't do is um, they don't ensure that the root ball is moist enough That's before right. really they plant, which is really important. If, you know, if it's dried out slightly, the plant may struggle to establish. So I always stick mine in a bucket of water for about 15 to 20 minutes just to ensure the roots are fully charged with water and then you know your plants are going to establish well water them water them in well after planting mulch the soil and then wait for some beautiful displays next year what's your second tip then well <laughs> looking back at the summer again <laughs> again uh, a lot of people's lawns were completely destroyed and it's actually quite interesting that we didn't expect that did we because normally grass will re reproduce won't it on its own yeah or it might keep going but obviously it was so hot and so dry for so long uh it, most of it just gave up the ghost but of course the grass really isn't dead you know the vast majority of it will start reshooting but it's going to take a while so you know the lawn is more prone to getting lots of weed problems because the grass isn't there to to fight off the weeds and of course it, it can look very weak and distressed so Autumn is the time to do some really good lawn maintenance. And I think this year you really have to do it and do it properly to make sure that the lawn comes back as strong as possible so for next year. So that's lawn weed killing? Well, let's, let's, okay. So yes, if you've got Start weeds. Start with that. And yeah, and, and it's getting a bit late for using a lawn weed killer. So do that as soon as possible. Obviously, if you're on heavy clay and, and it's taken some compaction, that can cause problems um, and that will lead to moss. So maybe um, aerating the soil first. Now, a lot of people use a garden fork. doesn't I, really work, it does doesn't it? doesn't work. It often makes the problem worse as the holes are smeared by the fork. So if you can, use a hollow, a hollow tine aerator. You can hire those. And you can you? hire... Uh, driven ones, petrol driven yeah. ones or even electric ones, and they will do a far better job. So that's the first thing to do. If you've got moss, get the moss out as soon as possible. Kill it first. Kill it first before you do the next stage, which is to scarify with a springtime rake to get all that dead grass and all that thatch that will prevent the water getting into the soil and a buildup of disease. And again, you can hire those. You can hire those. And again, they will do a far better job than you can do with the rake in hand. Um, but you've got to kill the moss first because if you um, if you scarify live moss, you just spread it further and make the problem worse. So we've aerated, we've we've scarified. Uh, the next stage then is if you can get a top dressing, a lawn top dressing to work that into the holes that you've made when you've aerated. Use the back of a rake, yeah, it in quite or, well. or a lute, which is the which is the proper, proper job. Yeah, which is just a piece of wood on a stick. <laughs> to flatten it down um, and then once all that's done finally give it a really good feed with an autumn lawn feed Sorry? not a summer one not a summer one there thank you jeff and we'll have more top tips for the next seven days later on in the podcast the bbc essex gardening hour with ken crowther this is bbc essex we go to susan 
from Acton in Suffolk. Is that right, Sue? It is correct, yes. It's only that I've no The Acton I always think of is, of course, the other side of London. But anyway, you're right, up in Suffolk. It's a much prettier part. I'm sure it is. Um, what <laughs> um, would you I like to talk about? about apples. We've got yes. a good crop this year. Good. Um, the best way of storing them. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you how my old dad used to. Go on then, off again. My old dad used to store apples by tearing up telephone directories <laughs> and wrapping them in one sheet of telephone directory and then laying them in trays and stacking the trays. And my mum, New Newton Wonder, which was a fantastic mm, apple and great, still is, great uh, we used to put them in the loft and my mum would eat apples. She had one apple every morning and she would eat the apples all the way through the winter and, in fact, till we got to the Worcester which, of course, was in fruit in June stroke July the next year. Wow. Right. We tried last year wrapping them in newspaper, but that yep. wasn't very successful. I wouldn't bother wrapping them, Susan. <laughs> I think this whole thing about wrapping is, is a load of wrapping rubbish. It worked for my dad it, and mum. It did. <laughs> but you can't get hold of telephone directories anymore. That's true. They get don't, the pages they, they don't make them. Um, the important thing is to have good airflow around them. Yeah. So um, not touching, not touching. So I, I use um, I, when I when I get uh, takeaway curries. One of the one of my <laughs> one of my curry houses has those. Do you know the the sort of plastic the the blue plastic trays that okay. uh, that vegetables often come in in the greengrocers with the slatted I know what you mean. Yes, with the slatted um, bottom. Yes. So I, I always ask them to deliver my huge mound of curry in one of those so I can keep it. And I use those for overwintering uh, things like apples because of the airflow through the base and the sides. Right, it, but I it is important to keep... What about storing them in the garage or the shed? Well, that's, that where I, that's where I keep them. I keep them, in, I keep them in the garage. You want it to be dark and cool. You don't want it hot and you don't want it freezing. So you want a, a sort of a lowish temperature and a, a garage generally can give you those conditions. Lovely. I'll give you and a the other thing. Thank if you, you go, the other, hang on. Just the yep. other way of doing it is, he goes to his curry house. If you go to a good supermarket and you talk to the vegetable department nightly, nicely, their apples are stacked exactly how you want them as well because they're all separate. They've got a sort of corrugated that polystyrene, thing. Or yep. plastic, plastic yes. in between, yep. and you can you can nick the box and <laughs> and the, and the thing, and you can lay them all out. I tell you what, I've done it at a supermarket, so I'm sure you can. All right, will do. Lovely. Thank you very much. And, I, and I'm just going to add very quickly one thing. Check them regularly because as soon as one very starts important. rotting, it can spread to all of them. So check them regularly and get rid of any that are rotting. We're going to go to uh, Pat in Holland-on-Sea to talk about Mahonias. But just a reminder that Alan, who may be hopefully still listening to the gardening phone-in, uh, we might have some news about your beetle because Dave has just rung in and we're going to be talking to him in a moment because he thinks he's identified our beetle for us. Um, Pat, Holland-on-Sea. Hi. Hello to you both. Yes, um, I've, I want to transfer a Mahonia. Um, apparently, it's a few years old. I cut it right down to the ground because I didn't want it. And it's growing profusely. It's far, far better than it was before. Mm -hmm. they, they do that. That's a great way of yeah. rejuvenating and Mahonias. I was just wondering if I could transfer it to another part of the garden. Yeah, of course you can. Um, I mean, in Wait. theory, well, in theory, you could do it in late autumn. But as with most evergreens, your best bet, you'll get better results if you leave it until March. late March, early April. Yeah, that's all I wanted to know, because it flowers during the winter. It's a beautiful yellow flower. Absolutely. So enjoy the flowers. Oh. 
in the winter this winter and then you can move it um, sort of mid to late spring. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. And it's OK, like, uh, I've chopped it right down to the ground. It's a, it's a few years old. Mm, yeah, that's, that's the you best. You won't hurt them at that's all. That's the best way to rejuvenate okay. Mahonias. Okay, lovely. It's the best way to rejuvenate a lot of things. A lot of plants really benefit through actually having themselves chopped down to a lowish level. I'm careful what I said there. I said a lowish level in case people go out to their garden and chop everything down to the ground and wonder why it hasn't grown and blame me. Um, yes, we'll be talking to Dave in just a little while about the beetle. But before that, George from Langdon is talking about seeding. Is it your old lawn that you're seeding? Yes, yes. Is it true, Lloyd? Uh, September, I, October are two of, two of the best months for yeah. reseeding lawns. Yeah, uh, what, what I've done, I've cut it down to the lowest level and uh, I've got this scarifier on it and got rid of all the detritus. Good. And um, would, would you mix the uh, seed with sand, sharp sand? Are you going to do, are you overseeding the whole lawn, George? Yes, just run it over, you know. Yeah, no, the, I, the, the yeah. The boxes have played havoc with it. And, you and can either the, use sand. Needs, uh, a bit of TLC. You can either use sand or if you've got any leftover compost from this year, then you can mix it in with compost. But, uh, yep. yeah, it's, it's a good idea to have some bulk, um, yep. which will help improve the soil conditions yep. um, and yep. also make it easier for you to spread it evenly. Right. Uh, would it would be OK if I mix, it with, uh, mix the seed with sand and put it in a spreader and... And do that sort of spreader. No, I'm not sure that you'd need to put it in a spreader as such. I but don't I, think I would particularly. Um, I'd, I'd just I'd put it in a bucket with sand or some compost and, and then make sure it's well mixed up and then do it by hand. What's all ratio, like sand to seed? Well, oh. well, basically what you're trying to achieve is about an ounce of seed to the square yard. Which is about a small hand, if you open your hand, the average yeah. hand, isn't yeah. it? It's a yeah. sort of handful in the hand. So work out how many square yards you've got, then you can work out how much seed you've got and then put in enough sand to make that distribution easy. Do it that right. way around. All right. Very lovely. Thanks for your help. No problem. That's a pleasure. Let's now go to Dave, who I uh, think you've identified the beetle. Is that right, Dave? Yeah. Um, morning, Ken and Jeff. Um, if it's the same as the infestation that I've got, um, I think it's an um, immature stink beetle. They're black about ladybird size. With Mine have got lots of white spots on them. Um, but I don't know what to do with them. I'll give them a spray with the your normal sort of bug clear, but it don't seem to be affecting them. Can okay, you give I'm, me any help? Well, uh, th th let's just go back to to Alan's to Alan's question. Um, he's the the stink beetle, as you call it is the same as the shield beetle that he called it. So he said they were the same size as a shield beetle, so I think he knows what a shield beetle looks like. So I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure, You're not that, sure that, that, is right. that is it, do you? No. <laughs> the, the, little, the little immature ones, they start off about... The, they, they're smaller than ladybird size, but they come yeah. up to ladybird size, yeah, absolutely. and then they start spreading out. But they do have that characteristic shield, shield. shield shape, yeah, so they, hence, they, hence the name hmm. shield bug. That's but it. they when also when they get a little bit older, yeah. then they turn into the shield beetles. That's right. But you're having but trouble I'm, getting rid of them, are you? What shield well, beetle? I'm infested with them as well. Doesn't do a great um, problem. Shield shield beetles are not a pest as we 
class they, them as. They do very, very, very little insignificant damage, so they're, they're not worth bothering about controlling, to be honest. Oh, uh, well, they seem to be eating through my plants. Well, they don't eat, they um, don't eat anything. They don't eat anything. Oh. They've got a, a mouth part a bit like an aphid. I don't. Which right. they which they push into the to the leaf or the stem of a plant to suck the sap. But being uh, mobile, which aphids aren't, they tend to move around and just make one little sort of white mark, if you like, where their mouth part goes in and move on. They do not eat leaves. So if they're being chewed, they're not a it, shield beetle. Well, well, if they're being chewed, it's something else. That's it's caused, something else. Uh, Are they it. chewed? I've got a basil plant that's um, the some of the stalks are now dying off and going brown. Yeah, that happens um, for this time of year. Yeah, and I've, I don't know if that's sort of just natural. That's yeah, natural. This time of natural. Year, or if, natural. If totally the little natural. bugs have been attacking it. But that's, that's, it. What I, that's what I think it is that he's got. Okay. okay. I think it's an immature um, stink beetle or shield beetle. Um, as it gets older, as they go up a bit then they spread out and turn yeah. into a shield shape thank you very much dave for your call uh, lots of uh, always I, good to get feedback I, from I, the listeners it is indeed and we go to lisa from ingotston hello lisa lisa from ingotston talking Maybe. hydrangeas hello yeah that's rita hello rick <laughs> Hello, Rita. Re- Should we start again? Hello, Rita from Re- Ingots. Rita, can Hello. you change your name to Lisa, please? Yeah, come on. No, I'd rather not. No, I'd <laughs> no, stay no, on some Rita. Some people say cut the flowers off. Some people say leave it on. Depends which hydrangea you're likely no, to it, have. No, it doesn't. Yes, it, it does doesn't. In a way. It has some nothing. Like, yes. No. You can tidy the other no. up and you can leave others no. on. No. All right, don't then. I've got one that's a normal bush <laughs> and one that's sort of a, a taller one, sort of straggly, yeah. white. What? What's the shape of the flowers? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the shape of the flowers is. You. <laughs> I started. You'd leave them all on. Would you, you leave them all on. Well, look. Let, let, let's. This is one of my biggest bugbears. So, <laughs> so I'm going to have my say. Whatever. Okay. The reason that people recommend that you leave the flowers on or the dead flowers on hydrangeas over winter is to protect them with is to protect the flower buds from frost, which is a complete and utter load of rubbish because how on earth can that little tiny filigree um lace doily give give any protection from cold (laughs) and frost it's a load of rubbish so you tidy them all up no i didn't i'm not saying that you'd leave them on then well some people (laughs) some people leave them on because they think they look nice over winter which you know dead flowers look nice over winter do they i'm not sure they can act as hibernating and overwintering places for ladybirds, lacewings and hoverflies, which are all gardeners' friends. So it is worth keeping it on for that. And the only other reason for keeping them on is if you do want to protect the tips of the stems and the flower buds from cold and frost, cover the plants completely with horticultural fleece. And by leaving the flower heads on, it supports the fleece above the plant. That is the only good use of a dead hydrangea flower. Right. I've also got a taller one that's long stems. Yeah. Like a white flower, that is. Okay. Same thing. Uh, absolutely the same thing, yeah. It doesn't right. matter, it doesn't matter what, what, the, what species or variety it okay. is. It's, okay. a, it's exactly the same. If you want to leave them on, leave them on. If you're a, if you're a tidy freak, tidy them, out, tidy them away. Does Jeff, t- do you cut all yours off? No, I leave them on in case I need to cover them with fleece. <laughs> So come on, come on then, Rita. One thing, I came in at the end. Did you say cut some um, fuchsias right down? 
by no, half. half. Three inches. By half. half before you overwinter them. Half. If yeah. you're talking hardy fuchsias, don't prune hardy fuchsias yeah, until spring. They come year. Oh, well, that's a hardy one. Leave it alone. Leave it until spring. Don't okay. cut it at all. Right. No. OK, thank you very much. <coughs> oh, cough, cough. Let's talk to Fred in Herringate. Hello, Fred. Talking dahlias, oh, aren't we? Dahlias? Dahlias, now. I've got some most beautiful dahlias in my garden that everybody keeps looking at. Really lovely ones. Big ones. And that's full of bud. But what do I do with them in the winter? Do you, are, you, are you a man that likes to take a risk, Fred? I, I, I don't really want to dig them up. That's the thing. Okay. Well, if you want to take the risk of leaving them in, you leave them in, don't you, Jeff? Yeah, it is a risk if we have a harsh winter and somebody has been predicting that we're going to get one of well, the cold... As long cold... as it's not you. No, it's the, sa- it's the, <laughs> the same, same bloke, time. though, uh, that we're going to have one of the coldest winters on record. It is a risk to leave the tubers in the ground because if frost gets at them, it'll kill them. Yeah, but hang on, it, that guy that predicted that I know, the other year got I it know. wrong. He got so... it totally wrong. Yes, so we're not going to believe him. No. Um, if you are going to do it, uh, then I would mulch over the soil above the tubers with at least five to six inches of bark chippings or similar to act as a, as a protection. If not, lift them. If not, lift them. Lift them, wash them, dry them, keep them somewhere frost-free. Yeah. How about right. that? That's lovely. All right, Fred? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. That, that's a pleasure. You're listening to BBC Essex, to the gardening phone-in. Kane Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, myself and Jeff have got some more top tips for you. Now, begonias, they have gone on and on this year. They really have. I mean, I'm still looking at baskets and tubs around that have got full colour of begonias, although the leaves are starting to go a little bit yellow. Yeah, which is a sign that they're beginning to slow down for the autumn. Time to lift them out out of their containers. And I like to just dry them off for a little while because they can be a little bit damp because hopefully you've been still watering your containers Well, do you know what baskets. I do? What do you do? Well, I, I, I want to keep them going for as long as possible and I want as much food to get into the tubers. That's right. So that they... Because during the summer, the tubers aren't really there. So you've got to try and build the tuber up in late summer and into the autumn. So I will always leave mine out until the leaves are completely the, the yellow. yellow. And in fact, the... F- the stems drop off. That's don't right, they? exactly. So you can just quickly yeah. wiggle the stem back and forth, and if it comes off in your hand, then you the know tube is ready. ready. If if it doesn't come off in your hand, then you can leave it for a couple of days more. But then still allow it to dry out completely. And yep. I know Jeff; he's a bit funny, but um, we won't funny. go into how he stores them at this moment because I like to put them in <laughs> something like. Well, I still use crushed polystyrene sometimes, and you can yeah, use well, a, a once big you've jar. Got, once you've got materials dry. that. Um, you know, or are waste. Paper bags paper is another bags. way. Okay, yeah. uh, but I don't like to just leave them in a tray myself, an uh, open tray, because uh, you get the mice in there if you leave them in the garage or the shed. And they, they find them quite tasty in they the do. winter. So. Yeah, but you basically are storing them dry, not below freezing, and keep them somewhere cool and dark, basically. Cool and and dark. it's as that's, easy as that's that. That's all you need. Now, we'll just mention briefly that, Jeff, um, I don't know where he gets his tights from, but there's a rumour that you hang them in tights. Is that right, Jeff? Tights, stockings, netting, whatever, <laughs> yes, because I want, I want some airflow around them. And, and if I am using something like tights or stockings... There are some great shops where you, you can put, buy. You yeah. put knots. I put a knot in between yeah. each one. I've seen this man. He's a funny guy. Because if if one rots, 
and they're in contact with, with others, then they may all rot, at least if you've got them separated. You have a good point. Yeah, well, you know, there you go. So, come on, what's your tip then? Well, <laughs> OK, well, you, you've done one of our favourite and most popular summer bedding plants. Um, I'm going to keep the theme going with our other okay. favourite summer bedding plants. And I'm thinking of the, the, the perennials that we use that aren't frost or cold hardy. So we've got our bedding geraniums, which of course we must call pelagoniums. Of course. We've got our bedding uh, fuchsias. We've got our perennial petunias, especially the hanging basket ones. We've got marguerites, our geranthemums, all of which are perennial, so you, you can keep them going from year to year, but they won't tolerate temperatures below about four, three or four centigrade. So basically, if you want to save the ones no. you have in your garden, First of all, you, you've got to have some word that you can overwinter them uh, and ideally a, a cool greenhouse where the frost is kept off or a cool conservatory or porch something or a like porch. That. Yes. Or, or even you know, if you've got uh, a big enough window, then you can put them in the window. So basically, I start by cutting them back hard. I take them down by about half. So all the stems come down by about half. Um, I then very carefully lift them out of the compost or the soil. So taking as big a root ball as possible. And then I look over the plants, and if there are any damaged, dead, dying leaves, um, any sort of dead flowers... Get rid of all that. Get rid of all that. Mm -hmm. And then pot them up individually into pots that are just about big enough to take the root ball. They don't want loads of room around No, because they're not going to grow much over the winter. So, you know, if you can get your fingers just in between the the edge of the pot and the root ball, just to get a little bit of fresh compost in, that's all you need. Um, A little bit of water... You don't want them growing over the winter. You don't want the compost drying out. So over the winter months, you just check them every now and again and just give them a little bit of water should they need it. So now it's as simple as that. Keep listening to the podcast as there's still more hints and tips to come. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's uh, go back to the phones and talk to uh, Chris about daffodils, one of Jeff's favourite subjects. Didn't you write a book on, on bulbs at one I, time? I have written a book you on bulbs. You have written a book yes. on bulbs. And they're my favourite because I'm Welsh and they're, they're my national emblem. <laughs> so, Chris, you're not Welsh, are you, Chris? No, no, not at all, no. No, no, I like the way he said, not at all, yeah. not at all. <laughs> no, God, blimey, no way. <laughs> anyway, how can we help you with the daffodils, Chris? Well, I've been given some uh, nice side bulbs and it says here... Indoor flowering, white. What are they? Now, uh, would I be okay to plant them outside? I'm sure I could. Is that well, all it says? Just white? No, it says indoor, yeah. indoor flowering. Indoor flowering, white. It says. So they're yeah. probably paper white. Paper white. So no, they are really meant for indoor forcing. Okay, so, then. Right, fair enough. Right. So okay. you you plant them in in pots, or you can put them yep. in in jars. Um, now the, the problem is, uh, my window my window sills don't get a lot of light. But would that matter very much? It shouldn't no. matter too much. They might get a little bit taller than expected, but as long as they get some some light, they, okay. they should be fine. Right, another quick one, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, now, close to me, there's about a four-foot-high uh, rosemary, it seems to be. Right, It's the same as you get in the supermarkets in the little pots. Yep. But the leaves are much, much bigger. It's much more... much. Is it the same species? Can I use that for cooking? 
Um, you often find that the ones that you get in supermarkets have, have been, you know, forced. forced so that mm. that tends to produce sort of thinner, weaker growth. Um, if you rub it between your fingers, the one that you found, and yeah. um, and and it smells of rosemary, um, and it looks like rosemary, then it probably is rosemary. They often in the in the garden in our gardens get to four or five foot tall, and because they're yeah. outside, their leaves tend to be a bit more um, robust. It so, would be yeah. worth cutting it back, though, to induce new growth from the base, would you, or would you just leave it? I don't think it's his. Well, so, so oh, it's not yours? So we can't. No, it's not mine, no. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> leave well, leave well alone. Leave well alone. Just enjoy it, OK? OK, right. Thanks very much. That's yeah. a pleasure, Chris. That's, oh, thank you very much indeed. And we talk azaleas with Henry from Rochford. Hello, Henry. Hello there, sir. Uh, we've got an azalea, a little azalea bush. It's only about... 18 inches to two foot high. Is this an indoor one or an outdoor one? No, it's outdoor. Right. All the leaves are going like a, a rusty colour. It, it looks good. It really looks good, but uh, I don't know whether it's meant to be or what. Depends. If you say it's an azalea, um, what we've, it could be an evergreen or it could, it could be, be a deciduous. deciduous. Absolutely. Um, do you, have you got any other information about it as an azalea? Uh, no, only that we've been feeding the ericaceous food. Right? Is it? You haven't got a label on it. You don't. You don't know what the variety is. No description of it. You don't know any of the variety of it, Mal, do you? No. No, we don't. Where did okay. we get it from? <clears throat> I don't. Yeah, garden centre. Garden centre. The thing. The thing. Okay. It, let's let's do it another way. Is it? Is it? Is the bush rounded and got lots of small leaves on it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so sounds like an sounds evergreen. like an evergreen. Is sounds there, like yeah. evergreen then. Which obviously the leaves shouldn't uh, go go rustic or rusty colour. Um, so we're looking at a possible problem, and the possible problems are there's about twelve. <laughs> so oh, it's Im so it's impossible to say what's gone wrong with it uh, without actually seeing it. But um, basically, it won't like to be in in a sunny position, which it won't like. If it dries out in the soil, it won't like it. If you're watering it with tap water and your tap water is hard or, or chalky, it won't like that either. Gordon Bennett. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're a plant that has quite specific requirements, which obviously you need to take into account when you, when you buy and grow plants like that. So it, it sounds like it's, it's under stress and it's not happy with its growing conditions, hence its leaves are discolouring. And it no. could even be uh, rhododendron rust, which is a fungal disease, which is kind of brought on by having uh, improper growing conditions as well. No problem. Any chance okay, you we'll see how it goes? If it, I mean, if it dies, I'll have to get another one and remember the name. Yeah, or not get an azalea. <laughs> get something else. Have you? Uh, can you take a picture and email it to us? And then we can have a look at it. And for then we you. can say probably that's the easy. It's a bit like going. To, it's a bit like you going to the doctor and saying, uh, uh, "My wife's got spots on her. What's wrong with her?" I mean, the doctor. Right. The doctor. The doctor's going to say, "Well." How do I know? Can you not bring her in? Well, at, at least you do your utmost to help people. I'm we, have a, we have a go. We have a go. And the email address for anybody listening that wants to send a picture in so that we can identify any problems or plants is ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Simple Magic. as that. Thank you very much anyway. Thank you, Thank Henry. You. And we go to John from Chingford. You're talking about tomatoes. Is that right, John? 
Yeah, that's right. You, you've got a clever computer there because I never told the lady my name. <laughs> Your computer's very clever. <laughs> um, right, yes, I'm, our friend, my next door neighbour, gave me some uh, tomato seeds for the uh, the beefy ones. Yeah. I've been, I was on a computer before looking at something else and up popped this tomato feed was Epsom salts. Yeah. What's your take on the Epsom salts? Well, Epsom salts is is magnesium. So if you are if your tomato plants have got very yellow leaves during the summer, they may and they may not be short of magnesium. So using Epsom salts is a way of adding magnesium. However, like all plants, tomatoes need a balanced feed. So just feeding them Epsom salts will not doesn't work. Doesn't work. And yeah, most I, I sprinkled some around because I I wasn't too sure of the content so i just did sprinkle some around but they have come up massive the, the, the i've got some like size of cricket balls and i've got a couple the size of uh a, not what's that? Uh? grapefruit yeah that's that's They're enormous yeah that's about the size well that's the, the size of beefsteak tomatoes but it, it's, probably, it's probably it's probably not them, but so so the answer is john that epsom salts would you only need to use if you get this yellowing during the summer period too late to bother now um, yeah, no, I did so. I did yeah. and, the red stuff, put the red stuff over them or in the ground for them as well. Yeah, well, Tomorite contains magnesium, so therefore you don't need to use the Epsom salts because the magnesium is already in the tomato fertiliser. But the Epsom salts is cheaper. <laughs> yes, but you're only... But, but you're no, only adding one, one nutrient. You're only adding magnesium. You're not giving it all the other nutrients that it needs, so it's not cheaper. OK. All right. All right, thanks for that. That's a pleasure. That's John from Chinkford. And we go to Christine from Burnham on Crouch. Hello, Christine. Uh, hello there, Ken. Yeah, um, it's a subject I spoke to you two or three weeks ago. Do, uh, mm -hmm. do you remember I, I got some seeds, canna seeds, from my neighbour's canna you, lily? And you, you told me to put them in the fridge for a few weeks. Canna seeds. Yeah, so what have you done with them now? Well, I don't, what I wanted to ask you, should I part them now or leave them till next year? Uh, I personally wouldn't uh, bother with them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, we were joking about. I think if in that conversation, I can't remember who was with me that that day, but I think we were joking about how it will take some time for them to flower. But yeah, I it think it's in. In I think it. I think it was Tom because they. I think do them from flower over in the college, or it might have been Mick. Uh, one of them from Rittle. Okay. And they grow them from seed and can get them to flower within a few years. He said they'd be flowering the first year, I thought he, he did. did. Mick did say said, that. Oh, they flower I, first season. I was you, amazed. If you noticed, I did uh, park, bark in there and say, I think it could be longer. Yeah, <laughs> the man, well, the yeah, man's... I was say, I'll be amazed if he they said they, the first He reckons they get them in Rittle to... The man's an optimist. He is, isn't he? Yeah, I should think so. I, 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 if I was growing cannas from, from seed, I wouldn't expect flowers for about three to five years. But, mm. they, but there you go. Anyway, uh, back to the question I is, would sow where the, would you sow I them? would sow them in spring, but you obviously yeah. they're going to need warmth. So, yeah, so do I leave them in the fridge or take them out and put no. them in a sort of paper bag and put them somewhere dry? It's what Jeff, it's what Mick did, does with them. Okay, yeah. I, I would I would never put can of seeds in a fridge. He does. Okay. And he oh, seems it works. Oh, that's what you told me to do. Yeah, <laughs> he said it works. So he's trying to give him a cold um, spell, isn't he? But... Well, then I would, uh, what would I do with them? You might sow them now, then. 
if you've got no, warmth. No, no. There's not enough yeah, warmth well, and light. Well, I can go in my conservatory. It's warm at the moment, but it's not heated in the winter. No, time. no. Well, 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 if, you, well no, if you've got a conservatory... OK, that, all right. It's that, unheated in the winter, though. Let's split the difference. Half and half. Let's split the difference. Take half of them out and sow them now and put them... Well, and only grow them. four seeds. Oh. Well, <laughs> two and two, then. Do two and two. Put one pot, two and another. Take two out now and put them into into a pot in your conservatory. Leave two in the fridge and sow them in spring. And then talk right. to them. And then please tell us <laughs> and when. Then, yeah, let you know. Yeah. And then <laughs> talk. Let you know. And then either yeah. let Mick know or Jeff know who's bright. How about okay, that, Christine? Okay, thanks for your help. That's a pleasure. That's Christine. It just shows you gardening. It's the same old thing, isn't it? People do things in different ways. Yeah, but see, and- if he's in a college... Yeah, he's got he's got he's got warm he's got facilities. Yeah, he puts them on a warm that, bench that us people, which we can't do. That, that us people don't have. Let's talk pear trees with Alan from Wickford. Hello. When, when I look at a pear tree, hundreds of orange eyes seem to be looking back at me. Should I be scared? I would. I'd run for the hills. <laughs> Especially if you're Welsh. Anyway, <laughs> no, seriously, are these on the are these on the leaf? On the leaves. Rust, pear rust, yeah. isn't it? European pear rust. Oh, it's European. Yeah. You sure? Well if it if it's got the growths, <laughs> if it's got the sort of corky growths on the underside of the leaves, then it's European pear rust. And if it's yeah. just got orangey yellow spots on the leaves, it's Non-European, it's non-Brexit pear yeah, I was going to say, so after, well, after, after Brexit, does it does the European one disappear, or do we only end up with one? Yeah, no, no, it, it'll co- it'll it'll cost us more. Yeah, you need a visa. Yeah, <laughs> no, sorry, joking apart, you've got pear pear. It doesn't pear. it doesn't matter whether it's pear rust or European pear rust. The 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 the, the uh, things that you do are the same. Which is not a lot. Well, no, because the secret the secret is that there's not a lot you can do. It's cleanliness. It's clearing them up, being very fussy about clearing and getting rid of the leaf from sight, isn't it? Really? Yeah, there are no fungicides approved for use on any edible crops, so you can't use a fungicide. You, the ideal thing is that next year you keep a very close eye on your pear tree, and, and if you see one or two leaves starting to pick them off. Uh, get affected, you carefully pick them off to try and stop it spreading to all the other leaves. But Ken's right, cleanliness is next to godliness when it comes to to, to fruit diseases. Any affected leaves, rake them up and get rid of them. Is a winter wash any help at all? No. They are? Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. Alan from Wickford. But don't don't be too scared to go back out in the garden, please. (laughs) And we'll be talking to Zana from Basildon, Keith from Rochford and Viv from Stamford La Hope in just a little while. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips Jeff has for us this week. OK, so it's autumn... And guess what happens with, with autumn? Guess what happens? I was going to say the leaves fall off the trees. The leaves do fall <laughs> off the trees. The Americans, we don't like some American words, but their word for autumn, fall, is, is very apt and descriptive. So, yes, leaves are going to be all over our gardens, falling from all the trees, on the lawn, the paths, smothering sort of, um, sort of soft and, and tender plants. 
So we need to spend a bit of time lifting them and getting them away from our gardens. Um, on the lawn, if you allow them to stay on the lawn for too long, then at the very least, the grass underneath is going to go yellow because it's not getting enough sunlight. And at the very worst, it can even kill the grass. So you need to rake your leaves off the lawn. On paths, um, well, basically on paths, they become a, a trip hazard or, or a slip hazard. Can be very, very dangerous as they start rotting and they get very, very slippery. So you certainly need to take them away from paths. And again, you can use a, a, a rake, you know, a soft plastic tined rake. And on your plants, again, you know, if you've got sort of alpines, for instance, or low growing plants, they can cause problems if you leave them there. So rake them all up. Don't throw them away because they can be used to make a very good material called leaf mould. Leaf mould, it's something that everybody talks about and hardly anybody's got. I know, <laughs> but it's such a fabulous, it's, you know, it is a great planting material. Um, and if you've got a, you know, a, a rough corner of your garden, all you need to do is um, get some black plastic bags, shove all the leaves in there, give them a bit of a wet if they're too dry, put a few holes in the black plastic bag, tie a knot in it and just shove it in the corner for a year. It takes as long as a year. It takes a year because, yeah, the tree leaves take a long time to, to rot down. If you want to speed up the process, because you, you perhaps you want to add them to your compost heap rather than shove them in a, in a corner. Maybe you haven't got a corner. Uh, particularly the ones on the lawn, you can lift with your lawnmower. So set the, the cutting height quite high and just run over the leaves with your lawnmower. It might bring some grass as well, some grass cuttings at the same time. And that will even help the leaves to decompose quicker and because you're shredding them they will decompose quicker as well and of course if you um, if you've got a big garden or you can't be bothered or maybe you just can't physically rake your leaves of course you can get a garden vac one of those powered garden vacs i would go for a vac rather than a blower i've, I've never understood blowers because you blow them into a pile then the wind blows them all all over the place again so you've got to do it again and um it's just and then of course you've got to collect them whereas a vac it does it all in one um, and there are some great lithium iron battery powered garden vacs out there on the market at the moment you like those gadgets don't I, you i i love lithium iron powered machinery i think oh it, is it sounds good doesn't it lithium iron powered gun. it is fabulous i must agree i use um we use we use a lot of kit like that now because it's it's quieter it's better it's, it's quieter it's better you don't have the electric cable trailing around which causes problems um and and they are just as powerful as electric machinery so you can you know you can even get a battery powered chainsaw so, you know, it's all good stuff. I've got one. Have you got one? Great. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. What's your second tip on Look, this okay. section? Okay. So the next next tip, we're going to go into the fruit garden. Um, a lot of people uh, grow or certainly are growing at the moment uh, raspberries. And uh, they just need a little bit of uh, care and attention at this time of year. And I'm talking about your summer raspberries, yeah, the ones the that are fruited fruiting. in summer. And actually, some of them were very, unless they had lots of water, they struggled a bit this year, didn't they? They did, yeah. Uh, and it's a simple matter of all those canes that fruited this year, cut them down to, you know, half an inch, an inch above ground level. And that's it. Leave the ones that grew this year. Do not cut those down. Oh, uh, no, I have seen people who have cut them all I off. Know. <laughs> that's why I thought it would be a good tip for this time of year, because the ones that grew this year are the ones that are going to fruit next year. And if you cut those away, you get no fruit next year. Uh, slightly different with the autumn fruiting raspberries. Autumn fruiting raspberries fruit on the canes formed in the current year and they are pruned down to ground level in February. So you can leave those well alone. 
And it's Anything else you have to do to them to try and encourage, you know, good fruit next no, year, this you, time of year? If you've got, um, if you, you know, if you are training them and you've got wires to train them on and, you know, normally the top one is about six foot and if yeah. they've grown seven, eight foot Chop high, them off. you can just take the tips out. Yeah. But uh, apart from that, there's nothing else to do. Same with blackberries. Blackberries at this time of year, very, very similar in their fruiting patterns in that the ones that fruited this year, again, you cut those down to ground level. And the ones that grew this year are the ones that are going to fruit next year, so you don't cut those down. I'll tell you what, wild blackberries were good this year. They were. Absolutely. I don't know why, because you'd expect them to be dry, to be dry and horrible. But they weren't. They yeah. were good, weren't they? Yeah. Someone uh, actually rang in the other week and said, why do we fuss so much over blackberries when actually out in the countryside they seem to do quite well, the wild ones, all on their own without any fuss at all? It's an interesting thought, though, isn't it? Well, because we're lazy. Because <laughs> rather, rather than getting... And, you know, do you want to get in the car? Normally you have to go in the car to get out into the countryside. Yeah, but what he meant them. was, we, pr we talk about pruning, training, and then oh, they I just see. grow, don't they? They don't have disease problems. They just get on with it. OK, well, OK. <laughs> don't do anything with your blackberries. And then when they're a complete <laughs> and utter mess in a year or two's time, and you can't, you can't actually pick them because there's just brambles and the garden's full of, it. And full of it then you'll think oh ken and jeff told us we should have done something with these a couple of years ago <laughs> thank you jeff let's get straight back to your gardening questions now the gardening hour podcast on bbc essex with ken crowther let's go to keith in rochford hello keith hello there ken um I've got um, a rhododendron tree which I feed with ericaceous compost. Yep. And underneath this year, since the winter, has grown toadstools or mushrooms and they seem to be affecting the rambling rose that's going along the fence. Is there anything I can do? How do you mean there it's affecting the rose? Well, the um, stems that come up out of the ground seem to be covered with... Uh, a brown and white substance. Are they? Is it? Is the substance on? Is the the new stem, which is usually a brighter, it is a softer stem and often pinky colour from the from the rose. Is it covered in a, a what you could wipe off as a whitish material? It's not the new stems. It's the old stems that grow up and then the rose sprouts come out from them. Uh, it's them that's covered in this browny white substance you can wipe it off yes but it's uh, on the mildew isn't it it looks so like I, mildew, I, yeah. I, sorry keith i'm confused where 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 is where is this markings on the rose leaves they're not they're on the no, stem not on the leaves it's on, on the, the stem stems. it's, it's on mildew. the old stems on the old stems yes okay um sounds like as ken says mildew. it could be mildew disease the likelihood that the the, the fungi the toadstools are having any effect on the rose is highly unlikely so i think the two are, are totally separate things right the, the vast majority of fungi that grow in our gardens are what we call saprophytic which basically means they feed on organic material in the soil the fact that you added compost around your rhododendron may be what they are feeding on. The vast majority are completely harmless. Leave them to it if you want to. I tend to go into my garden and when I see them, I give them a damn good kicking because that's a great way of getting rid of any built-up and pent-up frustration that I have. But I think you'll find that the two are, are totally separate um, coincidences. 
Okay, uh, I'm sure they are. Let's go to Vivian Stanford. La Hope, hello there. And how, what are we talking about? Rhododendrons, is yes, that right? Yes, yes, rhododendron. My one started flowering again. It's got quite, it's got two, two or three flowers that are right out and it's got smothered in buds waiting to flower again. Should I leave those buds on or take them off? Or will it affect it from flowering next spring? OK, well, there's no point taking them off because you might as no. well enjoy them. The, the the problem is with a lot of plants is, you know, well, all plants, their flowering is affected by growing conditions, weather conditions. And a lot of plants this year have been totally confused by our weather and are flowering out of season. I saw a, I saw a wisteria in full flower about three a- weeks ago. Apple trees. Apple trees in full flower. Yep. Now, yes. So basically... So just enjoy it enjoy it but the problem the problem in inverted commas is is that if all the flower buds because rhododendrons form their flower buds for the following year in summer Mm. so if all the flower buds open now you won't have any flowers next year because all the flower because it won't produce any more flower buds between now and then so if they all open that is your display so you won't have any next year did you have a quick look at that picture no oh okay we'll move on then uh we'll go to Zara, uh, Zana, is it with your basil and your plum tree? Is that right? That's right, yes. What can we do for you? Um, we bought a couple of small patio plum trees and yep. put them in the garden in spring. And one of them is in the wrong position and we want to know, can we move it? When can we move it? And what do you suggest we plant it in? You know, soil-wise, I mean. So you want to move it uh, in, and to another position in the garden? We do, yes. Right. Wait until all the leaves drop off and um, about about November time is the best time to move it. About November. And do yep. you recommend anything to feed it with or anything like that? You mean for planting? Yes. Well, as with all trees, all shrubs, all herbaceous perennials, all plants, you should always add organic material to the soil to ensure that they get their roots established. And by organic material, I mean well-rotted horse manure, garden compost, leaf mould, composted bark, mushroom compost, anything that you can get in bulk that you can shove into the planting hole to improve the soil. That's absolutely wonderful. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. and we've got a summer flowering bulb there. And, and in fact, Jeff's looking the same tig, as I. <coughs> tigridia. Tig, 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 tigridia, isn't tig, it? T-I-G-R-I-D-I-E. Tigridia. 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 And that is for, I'm trying to think who it's for here. Who was it for? Who was the message for? Anyway, we'll go back to that because that's just come in on an email. And Christine from Benfleet. Christine from Benfleet, talking about hookahs, aren't you, Christine? Yes, yes, please. Yes, um, I went to, on Monday, went to, re- well, take out some flowering bits, a big a petunia, and there was hookah in there, with it. Well, I think it's called plum pudding, a lovely dark one. It looked, looked super. Yeah. I just moved it aside while I put, got ready to put in another plant, and the hookah came away in my hand, and when I looked... I think it's all vine weevil, little white grubs. Yeah, yeah. Hucaras are a love it. Are a popular food for vine weevil. Afraid so. Uh, Yeah. Well. Oh, glory. Um, Anyway, I've put them in a washing old washing up bowl of water, hoping that perhaps if I left it a while, they might uh, might be drowned or something. 
It still looks pretty good. It's sort of split itself into three, so it looks like I've got three plants. But I don't know if it's safe to put back in a pot or in the garden. Jeff, if the if the roots are totally washed off, you could plant it again, couldn't you? Well, if there are any roots on the are there any roots still on the plant? No, it's just oh, that sort of well, no. the end bit. No, because they eat the roots right back to the stem, to the top of the stem. Yeah, that's to the bottom of the stem. In the hand, I that's right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you could try splitting the heuchera into t into tiny sections, and then try to use those as as in inverted commas cuttings. But uh -huh. um, you know, it's it's that's about the only thing that you can do, and the likelihood of it actually working isn't huge. But you could have a go if you wanted to. Try it, right? I won't put it back in the pot then. <laughs> no. no. And if okay. you uh, hang on, just if you've. You need to empty that pot of compost, not in the garden, not on your compost heap. You no. need to get rid of it completely. Complete, complete. Oh, yeah. Yes. OK. OK, thanks for that. That's Bye. a pleasure. And just, I found out, uh, it's Cathy Wilson who was asking about Tigridia. I can remember selling those because they're actually a very attractive flower. They are not 100% hardy, though, they're are they? They're not 100% hardy, so they are normally lifted in the autumn and overwintered indoors. So they are. Tigridia, and it is a very attractive flower indeed. Pat from Colchester is asking about a magnolia. I'll tell you what, we can squeeze one more call in if you want to ring us on 0800 4041. Pat from Colchester. Magnolia Susan, is that right? Yes, it's a lovely one. And it is. Pinky lilac colour. Um, the thing is, it's I've had it about nine years, I think, and it's it's growing beautifully, but it is spreading a bit, and it says no pruning required. But can I sort of trim it um, for the width of it or not? Um, a lot of people say that you should never prune um, magnolias, uh, but I, I think that's a bit of a bit of rubbish to be honest because I I, I, <laughs> I prune them regularly. I, I know I know people that do prune them regularly but the, the timing is important it's not now the best time to do it is immediately after flowering okay and okay. the best thing to do with magnolias is rather than use secateurs to make lots of little cuts it is better to use a, a, a heftier implement like loppers to make fewer larger cuts so reduce the amount of stems rather than tip them all the yeah, way absolutely. round because yeah. if not you end up with no flower if you tip it all the way across yeah. you get no flower at all so basically cut larger wood rather than thinner wood okay can i just say i've had a, a few buds on it in the last few weeks so you will the second flush well it's the same uh, same as the rhododendron question thinks that we had thinks it's spring because we've had some weird weather patterns and now it's flowering when in fact it should be flowering next year Yes, OK. Thanks for your help. Okay. Thank you, Pat. That's a pleasure. That's Pat from Colchester. Uh, we've got a, a text here. It says this is from John on the shoe and slipper stall in Chumpsworth Market. Well, good. Well, I'm glad he's listening is that where you to buy your shoe? Market. Is that where you buy your shoes and slippers? <laughs> I have quite a few large cracks in my lawn near Riddle. Should I bother to fill them in? Um, in, in? Should I fill them in? Would you fill them in, cracks? I, I would, Absolutely. Because, you see, in theory, if it's opened, it should close, shouldn't no, it? No, not on clay soil. Not, not on clay... No, well, so, yeah. I mean, uh, in my beds and borders, because I've got clay soil, I yep. always mulch with something like composted bark, because I yep. know that when it dries out, it'll crack open, and the composted bark falls in and fills the cracks up. So, yes, I would. I would use some compost, and I would overseed with some fresh uh, grass seed to ensure that you get some growth. They are. Well done, John, on the Chompsford Undercover Market. Um... Coconut plant, Nita, is that right? Yes, that's right, Ken. Good You're morning. 
Uh, how did you get your coconut plant to grow? What did you grow it from? Seed? No, I just bought the ready-made one from the... Oh, right. ...one of the B&Q stores. Indeed. And um, the leaves have started going black somehow. It's in my um, passageway. Outside? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it's probably got um, drafted. It's probably got too much wind. No, uh, no, no, it's in my passageway. So it's not in, outdoors? Indoors, in my passageway. Oh, it's indoors? Yeah. Not enough light? Could be not enough light or overwatering. The sounds more like overwatering, possibly. Yeah. Wants to be creep, you know, dryish, dryish, doesn't it, Jeff? Yeah, uh, well, and of course, the problem with a lot of indoor plants, once their leaves are going, are discolouring, there are numerous things that cause it. Um, overwatering, underwatering, too hot, too cold, too too much uh, sunlight, not enough sunlight. So without actually seeing the plant, it's impossible to give you the exact thing that is causing it. But those are some of the possibilities that have um, caused it to deteriorate. Okay. Oh, and another thing, I'm getting um, two hanging baskets ordered. Um, they're winter pansies. Will they be all right? For the frost and all yeah, winter pansies, as long as they are winter pansies, are tough as old boots, hang them outside, keep the compost slightly moist over the winter months um, and enjoy a fabulous display. And just very quickly, um, we had a email in from Jill from East Tilbury. She said, love your programme. I thought I'd get that in. She's got fuchsias, they're curling at the top. She thought it was captive bug. Um, it's curly, the buds are deformed. It is not captive bug, is it? Well, it could be captured, but, but it doesn't sound like it definitely is. The most likely is, is fuchsia, fuchsia gallmite. Now, there's not much you can do for fuchsia gallmite, is there? Well, uh, you have suggested keep spraying with... Um, um, I would use Bug Clear Ultra to spray up. But first of all, I would cut out the affected tips and then I would spray with um, uh, Bug Clear Ultra. So they are. That's what Jeff would do. So give it a go and see if you can sort it out as well. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Don't forget, if you have any gardening questions for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11 o'clock. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther.